0: In the streets of Laredo as I walked out In Laredo one day I spied a poor cowboy Wrapped up in white linen All wrapped in Well, hello. Uh, Welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. It's actually been a while since I've done this. Um, I've been focusing on the Broke cycle um, during my last weeks in the United States. And then I had to come to Taiwan and I'm in quarantine. So one of my goals in quarantine is to finish up this HP Lovecraft series. Um, You know, I have enough time to do like an episode one day and take notes the next day and, and maybe finish it up. Um, I'll have almost enough time to do that anyway. So, um, by the time I record today, I want to be done with this uh, Lovecraft series altogether. I'm not going to do any more episodes after that. I know I've gotten letters and comments on Twitter from people saying I should do this story or this article, or, you know, I do new realize there's holes in this series, but I'm content with what I've done. You know, I, I mean, even just these letters, it's just touch, it's just scratching the surface of what's possible in the letters, right? But I think we got a. We got a good uh, exploration of this writer and his works and his, his influence. Um, so with that out of the way, let's, let's just jump into where we left off in the last episode. It's actually been a really long time since I did that first episode on the, A Means to Freedom, which is the collection of Robert E. Howard and Lovecraft correspondences, mostly unabridged. Um, but we're going to pick up with uh, a letter um, by Robert E. Howard, Written in December 30th And we're going to work our way through August of 31 Or so So, um, A couple of really long letters here um, Now this one Is There's a lot going on in this letter actually This a uh, really diverse letter And you see a lot of different threads that they these authors Have been talking about seem to come together um, Really a lot on American history and the American experience As well and it's it's really another Good, it, it's kind of building off of what howard was doing before of, of giving lovecraft some perspectives on on uh, like immigration in the southwest and just the overall culture of the frontier in america and he does sort of conclude after kind of looking at texas culture which he presents is really diverse um and kind of interesting is he does support like lovecraft immigration restrictions and this this seems uh contradictory i, I'm, I think a more mature thinker maybe one less uh, influenced by their own prejudices would would notice this contradiction in their own thinking and, and rectified in some way um you know it's it's just he's still a very young man at this point um and even when he died he was still a young man so i don't want to you know and he wasn't a philosopher or anything but st- still i i do think this is a bit of a or maybe this is just him kind of kissing the butt of of Lovecraft a bit, supporting him on that. But my understanding is that that Howard shared many of the same race, racial views as as Lovecraft, um, which of course come from a very very prejudicial time in American history, where you know one of the heights of the Klan and, and where you had those immigration restrictions and hostility towards all sorts of immigrants of various point of various types. So he writes here, you are writing your denunciation of unrestricted immigration. I'm sorry to hear that the old sturdy New England stock has been so swamped with aliens. I'm glad to know that certain sectors have held their own. You're fortunate of having lived in a district apart from the mongrel swarms. Um, and I guess he's kind of saying there that, you know, I live in a much more diverse place and you don't know what it's like. It's even worse than you could imagine. Um, but he comes back to immediately after this, he returns to something that kind of gets back to the original conflict between Lovecraft and Howard, uh, as we talked about in the last episode, and that is he kind of does say invaders are creative. And now and I, and the thing is, I guess uh Lovecraft would agree with this, um, at least from his fiction. We've talked about this many times, where the immigrant is a carrier of something interesting and powerful and threatening. So if you're to acknowledge they're creative, doesn't necessarily mean that's good, right? It could that could be the reason they're a threat, right? If immigrants If invaders were simply um, like inferior types who couldn't affect the culture, then there's not a problem, right? You could let them in. You only need to have immigration restrictions if you have some, like at least some respect for that that culture's power to dislodge your own, right? Right. but he writes this, when the barbarians finally broke into the empire, they found an unwieldy, cumbersome bulk without identity or union and ready to topple the first vigorous shore. Fortunately, the tribes who finally trampled the crumbling lines were of a young, vigorous race, capable of rebuilding what they had torn down along more sturdy lines, perhaps, End quote. So he's talking about how, this is very uh, like an Ibn Khaldunian um, sort of argument about you know how barbarians come into decadent civilizations and rebuild a new civilization on top of it, right? Like agriculture being a choice that nomadic people take uh, after you know as a choice i just read james scott's book against the grain which talks about nomadism as a choice and so a sedentary civilization is sort of a choice until states come along and begin to enforce it but even they can't sustain it for for very long we live in the in us in an epoch of states so we don't we're not as aware of just how fragile they have been throughout history well, this is kind of an ibn khaldunian kind of argument uh to some degree um but anyways, a lot here about hybridity, um, and especially in the South, but he still makes some pretty um, racist comments about the, the racial stock of the American Southwest. Um, so anyways, a lot of really cool stuff here on, um, on kind of looking at Lovecraft's views of civilizations, of hybridity. He, he talks about, uh, like, I think this is in response to a Lovecraft letter that we don't have, yeah, so... We don't have a November 1930 letter from Lovecraft. So some of the things that Lovecraft mentions, we only get, we only know about from Howard's remarks, but some of this seems to have been East African coast, which if you know from your world history courses is one of the more dynamic parts of the early modern world, right? Where you have Arabs and um, uh, Swahili speakers and... Makes hybrid cultures and a lot of commerce with the East, with the with India and the Indian Ocean and all that stuff. Really, kind of a center of trade, right, and a center of urbanization in Sub-Saharan Africa. Really, <laughs> it's a center. If you study Sub-Saharan Africa, you spend a lot of time looking at East Africa for this reason, right? Um, and so they get into some of the same kind of arguments about uh, about diversity and cultural mixture, and and you know, he writes this: the civilization you mentioned on the East. African East Coast must have been a very mixed one, possibly an invading s- settlement of hematic conquerors with the substratum of black Aborigines, the whole, modif- the, the whole modified more or less by a filtration of Semites from the East. What noble speculations the matter brings up? With a mingling of such passionate blood's disease, what violent intrigues and plots and counterplots, what savage crimes and what dark murders must have shaken the walls and palaces of that vanished civilization? End quote. Now, except for him saying it's vanished, it's it's not. It wasn't vanished, right? Like, I guess Great Zimbabwe. Maybe he's talking about Great Zimbabwe here. But most of these cultures carried on, right, until the modern era, being some of the some of the holdouts of, of European colonization, at least holding out holding out longer than some parts of Western Africa. And maybe that's because of their their essential place in the in the world system at the time. So. Um, Anyways, what else here? So many good stuff. He talks about one of his dreams. Um, you know, he goes back to the question of America and America's situation. Oh, uh, one thing that we talked a lot about in this podcast has been, you know, American regionalization and regionalism. And that's something they get to, too. Or Howard even says maybe America should have been several different countries, not just one, um, you know, which, again, it kind of reminds me of something that in James Scott's book where. You know, most people imagine collapse as a bad thing. Like, if central government collapses and we go to, you know, most people think, oh, how, how the horror of it all, right? Like, look at the Ch- how the Chinese view history. The worst periods in their view are those of, of national or, or imperial, dis, you know, breakdown, right? But he's like, this is just a statist uh, bit of propaganda you've been fed, right? What's what's wrong with having a, you know, China broken up or the United States even broken up? Uh, in turn you know if you're valuing freedom and diversity and opportunity and things like that Um, so maybe Howard's on to something here Um, but they're talking they get a little bit into the great depression politics which I wish they would talk more about but they they seem to agree here that there's gonna have to be some kind of remaking of the American economy uh, with this in this new mechanistic era of course Lovecraft thought a lot more about this I think than Howard did but but it's certainly on Howard's mind too he says, the econ- econ- economics will have to be revolutionized entirely if the nation is to continue, and the choice seems to lie between fascism and communism, both of which I utterly detest. And doubtless, the world will eventually, as you say, sink back into barbarism if any humans are left alive after the next war. And since the inevitable goal of all civilization seems to be decadence, it hardly seems while to struggle up the long road from barbarism in the first place. End quote. So there, I think we certainly see a difference between Lovecraft and Howard in their views Lovecraft, I don't think, would say, yeah, just fuck it all. You know, we're all just going to be barbarians anyway, so we never should have, uh, you know, stopped being barbarians. Um, and this allows him to kind of get more into... to. Uh, western history one part that's really interesting here if you're interested in western history is the ranch wars he gets into a lot of detail about the ranch wars which were the wars between like the landowners and the independent open rangers and you had bandits and and, like the big cattlemen and the the the, the small-time cowboys and sheepmen you know struggling for the commons it's now howard doesn't get into all that he's just interested in the violence of the frontier um, but, you know, there is more to say about this. Um, yeah, the, the range tramps, the, the, the range hobos is another thing he, he mentions here too. So you can tell what, what Howard's really interested in in his region of, his small region of the world is this kind of diverse and uh, mobile and, and, and marginalized sort of uh, existence out there. Uh, Another thing he kind of jumps to is talking about black folklore. I think that's a continuation of things he was talking about before where he looks at their music and particularly um, on the lumber mill frontiers, how this kind of cultivated a a black folklore, um, especially centered on the conjure man and, and how he had personal interactions with. This black folklore has been carried passed on to him and again another kind of Suggestion of the diversity and 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 kind of wildness of 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 the American frontier Um, you know, I've I've been recently reading Main Street by Sinclair Lewis and his focus seems to be so much like how the frontier has been lost and everything becomes sort of banal and boring and just kind of commercialized and and Frustratingly yeah frustratingly banal, I guess um but that's not how Howard sees uh, Texas, for sure. Well, it's a different part of the country, but the Midwest versus the Southwest. But anyways, yeah, um, kind of he talks about this kind of a, a frontier freedom where you have bootleggers and, and this kind of very distinctive environment and all that. Um, so now at the end of this letter, now, again, this is a really great letter with a lot of stuff going on. So I, I'm only kind of marginally summarizing what you can find in this letter. But in the end, he he does talk about like materialism and kind of a rebel spirit and his kind of distaste for materialism. Uh, and they both have this. They both share a distaste for materialism. But I think Howard's comes more out of uh, uh, this kind of rebel spirit that he wants to embrace. He says, a man who does not resign himself is like a caged wolf who breaks his heart and beats his brains out against the bars of his cage. Yet I must admit that such a course appeals to me more than that of calm submission. For doomed to failure, a man can still snarl and tear many a time, many and many a time, when one is reeling and dizzy and sick at heart and soul, broken and tossed by the blows of fate or destiny or whatever it is that makes life a hell on earth, one may wish for the ability of philosophical resignation. But with a slight renewal of strength, the old blinding fighting lust comes surging back and makes him break his fangs into the iron bars anew. Quote. Now, there is sort of a, a fascistic kind of, you know, fetishization of violence and, and will and, and all that in Howard's writings. But, you know, take it, take it for what it is. Now, after this, we have another Lovecraft letter that's missing. It does seem... I don't know i I didn't count out which they they're missing on both sides so i'm not saying that one guy did better was better at at hanging on the letters um but or you know we don't know what happens to them but this like for the 1930s i wrote it down we have um seven of 18 are missing all right but some are missing by lovecraft and some were missing by by howard so but anyways we we here have two letters that, that howard somehow misplaced so they don't end up in our public record um Sometime maybe late 1930 or early 1931. Um, we next get a letter. Again, it's it's Howard, and it's dated January uh, of 1931. So we're moving into 1931, and and we'll stay here for the rest of the episode, get into the summer. Now you get the sense reading this that 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 something that Howard said, and I think we can guess what that was, triggered Lovecraft a little bit and led to him to response. And Howard begins the letter by saying, "Yeah, you're right. Now." Does he really think that? Is he just being polite? It's hard to say. Um, but, you know, we, we know Lovecraft is, will tend to kind of lecture. Um, you know, he, he's, he's kind enough in most of his letters, but he does, with younger people sometimes, you know, go on a little bit, right? Which, which is one thing reason I like the Howard letters is because Howard will go on a bit too and kind of force him to, you know, sometimes put put Lovecraft in a bit of a corner. But he says this, as always, I found your recent letter most interesting and instructive. Your comments on pioneering gave me a new and fascinating slant on the thing as a whole, making me realize that after all, the pioneering and settling of a new wild country is a reversion to the primitive Aryan type of life, End quote. Now, this is great. This is a great kind of compromise because you know, Love, Lovecraft thinks that this is maybe a bad thing. And Howard would think yeah, that's not so bad, but they can kind of agree on the premise. The, how they might interpret it in their souls is, is going to be kind of different. Um, But he does sort of say, "Okay, well, I'm talking about the West and you're talking about New England and New England's kind of special. Quote, I believe that New England, as represented by its older and pure elements, at least presents a more firmly grounded bulwark of the deep, solid principles and ideals that once characterized this Anglo-American civilization, they can be found anywhere else and will resist the senseless wholesale exploitation of mechanized modernism longer than any other parts of the country. This is you know, not only a concession to kind of love press views on this, but you know, his regional prejudices are explored as well. But after this, he gets back to, um, to kind of the frontier stuff and, and the, in and the West and the relationship between the frontier and civilization and saying that, th- that the frontier experience has kind of created a special civilization in, in Texas, right? That's, and it's kind of a civilization. We, we, we should respect to a certain degree. Um, now, one thing he does talk about here is, like, for instance, sports, the difference of sports, like bullfighting um, being kind of this old gladiator type match that, that's kind of extended into the modern world. Um, now, they're going to talk a lot about sports in these letters, and that may be of interest to you or not, but I urge you to to think about them because, you know, it's just Howard is much more physical than we he thinks, right? Um, and I guess Lovecraft he respects some physicality but isn't like like team sports and he doesn't seem to really care for observing or following sports in any way um but Howard here doesn't even like that he doesn't like organized sports either so there's a bit of common ground here he likes the more like physical man versus nature man against man kind of sports boxing right of course and he kind of throws out a liking for bullfighting and things like that um and he doesn't like the fact that a lot of people just sit and watch sports. He thinks that there should be a more participatory kind of thing, and you know the idea that people just watch tailgate, watch games, and get drunk is, is kind of distasteful to them, to him, anyways. They even get into PE, which, you know, it's, you know, again, I think both kind of think it's of dubious use, but but maybe Howard is a little bit. He he actually does seem to want a more phys- physical. A better physicality in in education and in culture so i you know this is going to come up a lot the sports stuff so so let's just keep that in mind um so what else here uh more on immigration and i don't want to keep repeating myself every time they they talk about these things but uh quote i'm afraid in a few generations texas will be overrun with mongrels looking at the state of the whole the great bulk of the populations of Anglo American stock mainly with southern ancestry, but with quite a goodly proportion who trace their bloodline back to the Midwestern New England. Central Texas is more blah blah blah. And then he gets on about the Jews are infesting the state in great numbers. Goes on for quite some time about all the different immigrants in in the region. The foreignization of the state is what he calls it. But what I want to say here is if if you can filter out like the or bracket out which i don't know is the right thing right method here and it's not how i would do it but if if you were to do that uh just temporarily at least like read through with a bracketing of some of the more um the context of his his comments here as it stands it's a really a fascinating window into into a pretty diverse culture because one thing i guess that you know this the xenophobes Um, have is an acute awareness of foreign impact right so if you know when they say our culture is being corrupted well you may not agree with their premise that that's a good thing or a bad thing or you know they i guess they would say that's a bad thing you may not agree with that premise uh, but if you sign oh it's really interesting that that this group is picking up the cultural traits of that group, right? you like, just tell me something about how civilizations interact and how cultures are formed and the boundaries of culture, right? It's not, but someone who's maybe a little more liberal in their viewing, you know, might give you platitudes like melting pot or, or mixing bowl or whatever kind of platitude they want to give about this, but not actually see it as something that's actually happening, right? Like a trend that's that's taking place of cultural appropriation or cultural change or whatever term you want to use so and then you can come back and read them and try to contextualize them in the xenophobic culture of the 1920s and, and 1930s uh, i think you, you know do that if you want i don't know um, so a lot here on race and jews and other immigrants to the region and and kind of in general um now after this he gets back to dreams because i because remember howard wrote about a dream he had and then lovecraft responded with a dream he had apparently and then he's he he also starts talking about dreams and his his argument is basically i have dreams of the west and your dreams are coming from your cultural context and and howard says he dreams of things like indian wars right he dreams of being like a cowboy or being in a in a cabin you know all by himself and, and things like that it's kind of wild actually um if he's if he really had these dreams as described you know he's really his dreams really are coming from his region and why not right our our dreams are coming out of our own experiences or whatever um but when you look at writers who use their dreams in their fiction, at least Lovecraft did it's significant that we understand maybe the psychological context that leads to them right um you know, the Indians killing him in his dreams. That's that's one thing he sort of complains about. Um, so as the letter winds down um, and again, just so you're clear, this is a second of of letter letter to Lovecraft that by Howard that we're looking at here, even though they cover a lot of the same ground. Um, he gets back to this kind of what's the problem of America today? And he says the main struggles between the individualist and the corporation. And I suppose nothing can stop the present cultural and industrial trends doubtless in a few more generations all the united states will present one uniform pattern modeled on the mechanized fabric of new york End quote. now this you could have in lovecraft's mind uh, words uh, coming out of his mouth i mean and you would say yes obviously this is coming out of his this is this is what he would say um so they really seem to agree on this this fear but maybe for different reasons you know for for lovecraft it's more the devastation of culture uh, of an established culture with this new kind of more barbaric culture and for Howard it's like we're going to lose like actually our individual freedoms I mean, we're going to lose our you know we're going to lose this kind of regional dynamatism dime, dime, that's why I think he's a you know as much as he talks about immigrants in pretty unfortunate ways I think Howard likes it <laughs> I mean I think he digs it in a sense because I don't think he'd want to live in a world that's so static and you know like uh, what's that one lots well, of stuff from the dream one stories the when doom came to sarnath i don't think you want to live in a place like that he'd want to be on the side of the of the the fish people coming in right and taking over um but anyways he says maybe i'll write a history of the southwest some someday um, but he get, he he spread some more stories, some more on black folklore and and cattle rustlers and renegades, and he gets goes on a little bit on that stuff too. So uh, these two letters, I think, are really they're both diverse, um, mixing on different topics. But it's a nice uh, um, they're fun, I think, and they they I think they do give a perspective on on American history that. You know, again, I think if you can sort of ignore some of the context of it and try to get to the truth, you know, understanding that maybe xenophobes do see trends and let's give them that much credit, see some trends that maybe are really happening. And we may not agree with their fear of it, but but the fact that it's there is is kind of a fascinating window into world history, I guess. Okay, let me stop this for a second. My phone was lighting up, and to stop, um, find out what was going on. I, I have to keep my phone on and my my announcements up while I'm in quarantine because you know, they're gonna check on me. And if you don't answer, I guess the phone. I guess they flip out about it. Uh, the COVID gods are, are gonna control my life for the next couple of weeks, for better for the worst. But it's just something I have to do to to get back to my normal life. Hopefully I'll make the best of it. Although the jury's still out on it. Good start here to, to work on these letters again. All right, what's next? Uh, Lovecraft to Howard. Finally we get a, a Lovecraft letter. It's a pretty long one. Um, not the longest here, but a significant one. Um, what do we have here? Oh, this is good. This, he he kind of comes up with this concept here. Uh, he said, it would be interesting to see whether bullfighting could trace any subterranean folk connections with ancient Crete, Crete owing to the fact that the very existence of the Cretean civilization was forged in classical times. The link must be very slender. Quote. What's great about that is it's something that's kind of alive in his fiction, right? The subterranean, literally subterranean cultural connections, right? And so he would artificially create gods or that, that kind of spread around the world and traditions that spread around the world, even connecting like... Uh, The Hindus and the Aztecs, as in the Arthur German, not the Arthur German story, the Juan Romero story. And he heard about the bullfighting in Texas. Like, oh, maybe this is another thing like that. Maybe it goes all the way back to the Creeks because he's thinking, I think, of the Minotaur, right? And the, the whole story with that. So maybe maybe they're into bulls or whatever, or maybe looking at the art and culture of Crete. I don't know how much known, was known about the Minoan civilization at the time, but you know, when you study your, your Western civil world history, you might learn a little bit about the Minoans. It's kind of a, this weird uh, culture that's not really Greek, but it's part of that part of the world. So you study it before you get to the Greeks, but it's like just a weird culture that existed, right? Um, then he get then he kind of picks up on all the grace and New York stuff and, and says some pretty nasty things about uh, uh, Jews. But uh, we know his opinion about New York from very early in this podcast. But he's got this interesting thing here. I I wrote fascinating next to it because I I thought it was fascinating. Um, Ultimately, if the pest doesn't spread over the surrounding terrain. Now here he's talking about like Jews, right? Immigrants and stuff. This exotic population may make New York a strangely interesting place, which outsiders can live with more curiosity than repulsion. Even now, when one does not have to live there, there's a sinister fascination in this world the alien faces that Miller... Through the shadows cast by topless towers one feels as one might in Bombay or Baghdad or Bay Babylon or some other forgotten city of Atlantis or volusia but it's a, but it sure is hell on the native New Yorkers who remember and love the city they used to be End quote. now this is uh you know you kind of want lovecraft to push farther on this point and say yes like this is this is cool these people are contributing to a new civilization and let's not get let's not fetishize something just because it's old there's a lot of shit that's old that we don't want to have anymore but um anyways a lot in this letter too is responding to the comments that howard's been making on texas and what can he say he often says like i didn't realize how foreign ice texas was i think it'll be interesting to see how it develops you know what would be like in 100 years all this um, and then he, he kind of finally is able to kind of make himself segue into something he knows a little bit more about in reference to the south and that is southern architecture um, and particularly like the great plantation houses which he visited uh, as we know um, and studied a little bit uh, in both like in Virginia but also in the deeper south right um, and he makes some really stupid comments here about how black people didn't create the great you know, architecture of of the South. And it's like, yeah, it's obviously they didn't have the resources to do that. They were slaves, right? They weren't given. They didn't have a slave labor force themselves to build their houses for them. But, uh, anyways, it's that's that's one of the the moments where Lovecraft really is a bit cringy, uh, unfortunately, because it's just stupid. It's it's not even that his I you know the ideas are odious. As presented, they're dumb. I, that's, that's, I guess I, I, I get this way when I see the Anglophilia too. It's like, give me a break. What are you twelve? Kind of thing. Um, you can't think through the logical contradictions in this in this argument. But a lot of fetishization here of of that Southern plantation uh, culture and their architecture and things like that and he does talk about some of the Dutch influence on the stuff but there's a really um, I mean it's a kind of a decontextualized conversation in many ways but he does he, he there, there's stuff here if you're interested in his views on architecture I think this letter is something to to look in. I guess um, now he comes back to the question of Africa remember there was a discussion about East African cultures and Lovecraft can't imagine black people creating civilizations. So he just says, well, they must have assimilated a lot of of Aryan or Semitic blood along the way. So disregard that nonsense. But it's here on the page for for what it's worth. Um, Look at this one. Perhaps there were no blacks even in Rhodesia when the Semites came down on the east coast and founded Zimbabwe. Oh, my gosh. I mean, just stretching the... The imagination just to take away from black people a civilization that was recently discovered and and dug up and being talked about it's like well it's like you know it must have been them right it's i guess well who's that smith that guy was saying kind of all civilizations come from one origin maybe it's coming out of that argument but but lovecraft doesn't agree with that he he makes a point of disagreeing with that but when it comes to africans you know it must have been some imported culture that did it anyways to this part of the of the letters but it's useful if you want to know what he kind of is just his view on race because you know he i do think a lot of his, his racial discourse is about immigration ultimately and people that he does not he does see as powerful but certainly there is a with people of African descent and of Africans he goes out of his way to make comments like this that that are hard to take seriously especially as a modern thing or even at the time you know I don't think archaeologists at the time writing about great Zimbabwe and were, we're saying oh this must have been you know Jews the lost tribe of Israel or something that that, that created this because you know it's got brickwork that survived to now or that you know I don't know, because they are engaged in trade or anything ridiculous like that. Um, Anyways, dreams. He then gets to dreams, and he says, yo, you dream of Texas? Well, I dream of romantic, Hispanic stuff. Uh, I dream of, like, the Saxon conquest of Britain and all this nonsense. Um, And then, but the point here, I think, is, right, you know, you dream about what's in your headspace, whether it's regional, whether it's cultural or, or historical or whatever, and You know, he thinks he's I mean, he does sort of get to this weird place where he's like, oh, maybe it's like the blood that's influencing the dreams. Um, You know, not just the headspace, but anyways, he writes, for instance, yet as a matter of fact, I have not a drop of blood in my veins other than Teutonic and Celtic. And I'm lanky. Um, What that has to do with why he dreams a certain way is 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 neither here nor there. But, you know. It's just, I think, yeah, it's not that hard to explain. But it's fun to see him reflect on his dreams, I guess. Because we know of some of his dreams, and they are, he's true about this, right? That they do, he does seem to dream a lot about ancient Rome, right? And Roman cultures. So whatever, he can dream about what he wants. Um. Then the letter ends with a bunch of stuff on, like... Weird fiction, I guess. He says, maybe this Conjure Man stuff could be a good story someday. Uh, he says, like, you know, and then he gives him Arthur German, which I guess is him saying, hey, look at me. I wrote something sort of about Africa and African cultures, even though it's about a guy whose grandma is a, is a monkey. So I go, hey, I, I did something about Africa. I, I talked about that story at length in previously, but he does send it off to Howard here um and they talk a little bit over the weird fiction market and some stories that are out so you know that's that so i think though if you look at these the two howard letters and the lovecraft response i think the howard letters just show what a brilliant person he was and and how lovecraft could be really burdened i guess by by certain prejudices unfortunately i guess so after this we have a a short letter um, from howard to lovecraft where he really just jumps on this question of of diversity in america He, he writes the old houses landmarks of past grandeur and so utterly different from the architecture to which i've always been accustomed particularly intrigued me and gave me the sensations of gazing at views of an entirely different country rather than a different part of my own native land indeed i cannot but believe that were it not for the common tongue, America would be a land of many different countries, as divergent and unlike as say Holland and Hungary. End quote. Which, it's like. So what's the problem with immigration? I mean, if if you're think this is all kind of cool, and it makes life interesting, you know. I don't know. I think sometimes he's he knows his audience in a way. But I don't know. Maybe I'm trying too hard to to vindicate. Howard from some of some of these accusations of racism and if I am I'm I'm sorry that's not my intention I just I'm just reading these letters and I I see someone struggling to make an older person he admires like him but at the same time strong hinting of a different point of view underneath the surface uh so then we have a, a letter to uh to uh from Lovecraft um Howard from February 31st and we I'm presuming it's long just because Howard's response is long Um, Howard's response is almost 20 pages in this book Um, but let's just jump to that response which was written also in February of 31 so a lot of what interests me about this letter is his perception on like New York because he comes back to the New York question And says, again, I don't know what Howard or what Lovecraft wrote in the February 31 letter. So let's presume some of this is a response to it, but we've seen enough to know this. But it must be something about resistance because Howard does say, well, I'm glad to see New York resisting modernist movement. Um, Which is is interesting because, of course, it's a center of of American modernism at the time, right? You got the, uh, if you study art history, you have that uh, going on. Like all those modern trends in art, which, which Lovecraft wouldn't have been much of a fan of. Um, but I think, you know, I don't know how much Lovecraft said about resistance formally, but certainly it's something that that Howard thinks is possible. Because I, I get the sense from other places that, that Lovecraft writes that it's sort of just an inevitability, this modern mechanistic culture. And you can mourn the old, but you know, I can be able to like stop the trend of history. But maybe Howard here thinks, oh, maybe you can a little bit. Um, uh, So he jumps around a lot in this letter, like all of these. They're letters, so that's what happens to them. But um, he talks about like the snake mythology, which I I guess he sent him Curse of Yig or something. So they go on a little bit about, uh, or he goes on, I should say. Howard goes on a bit about, culture around rattlesnakes in the southwest and texas and things like that um and how essential it is to it um but then he flips back to new york um getting at like kind of talking about he the story he if you remember this one uh, which is set in this kind of time traveling new york architecture and geography um He writes, I always wanted to see New England, but New York never interested me. But what you say of the dark aliens, towering buildings, labyrinth and alleys, etc. In your comparison of the city with Babylon and the dark towns of old, rouse me with a sense of exotic strangeness, mystery and weirdness, as in the shadow haunted black spired cities of lost empires. Um, But then he jumps to an anti-Semitic remark about Jewish control of of media. So, um, Whatever the good in these letters was often uh, mixed up with some of the some of the stupid remarks anyways oh yeah here uh come back where they come back to the west uh, and he's he talks a lot about the west in this letter as well um again just kind of regionalizing i think it's coming out of this kind of Back and forth about different American regions and and of course you feel you can educate someone about your region right and it's a way to carry on a letter it's a way to carry on a conversation It's to say ah you don't know much about this I'll tell you about it right which is it's a great adv- piece of advice if you're ever on a date or something right or you ever want to build up a correspondence with someone but he goes on about Billy the Kid um And other like the Lincoln County War, uh, which was a war like with cattle rustlers versus the ranchers and all that. Some really good stuff here about mob violence and and banditry and and all that. And, And he kind of talks about Billy the Kid. I think he more or less says it. He's like an aristocratic bandit or at least an aristocrat among bandits. Um, which kind of put him above the, the banal torture, brutality, violence, and stuff of, of the everyday cattle rustler type. Um, but there's kind of a romanticization of this epoch of, of American history, of course, and we see this done in fiction, and it's certainly in Howard's heart, I, I, I would say. Talks about Johnny Merle's imperial dream. What a grisly fantasy was Johnny and Merle's imperial dream, and what a strange and ghastly empire he planned! Surely, in that in that man slept the seeds of greatness, overshadowed by the black petals of madness. Merle, by the way, was an early nineteenth-century bandit. Um, did he go all the way to Texas? He was out in Tennessee, somewhere. I don't think. I don't know if he got that far. But there's something in that that kind of that subculture. Howard is trying to say, I think. um they do a little a little bit here on fiction on the fiction market and all that but what's another kind of really fascinating thing in this letter is he says i really you keep saying this you have this affinity for like the greeks and the romans especially the romans and that, i dig it i that's that's cool but but where's my affiliation right he's trying to think of like an old world affiliation he sort of already talked about the this celtic people right but he says you know where does he find his home his like spiritual home i guess in history he says quote i somehow feel more of a sense of placement and personal contact with babylon nineveh ashley gaza goth and the like than i do with athens or rome i know nothing of the ways and customs of those ancient cities can i even form a clear mental picture pertaining to them yet when i think of the ancient world my thoughts leap instantly and subconsciously to the valley of the tigris and euphrates and the fertile lands of mesopotamia and the early days of the semitic kingdoms right egypt's a brooding mystery So there's something about like the Semitic cultures of the region too that he's kind of fascinated with, and so he just jumps him into. He starts going on about Saul and these kind of different uh, Israeli kings and and how these kind of this this Jewish genealogy of kings and prophets and ancestors and all that stuff really really interests him because they're kind of poets and warriors. You know, they have a certain strength. They're kind of crafting this empire, the small empire on these larger empires. I think that's what it comes down to, right? And what does he dislike? He says, well, what I really don't like is Rome. And what is it about Rome? Well, you know, Rome's breeds civilization, right? Rome is... He said, I can't really explain, like, why I don't like this kind of weird Roman patriotism that you, Mr. Lovecraft, seem to express. But we sort of know it has something to do with the fact that the Romans at least it's you know claim to be bringing order and stability and and civilization right um they were the boss right they they punch down and and i think what's going on with his you know maybe in his interpretation of these jewish kingdoms is they're not they're like defending themselves through 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 creating a culture their own poetry and at the same time they're fighting with the one hand he talks about how david's you know on one hand pointing towards writing poetry in the other with a sword in his hand isn't that the donatello statue that literally has that um anyways fun stuff here and he even says like if it, when it comes to england i like the Stuart kings you know I, I think us lovecraft would like the hanoverian kings uh so next we have a short letter to lovecraft from howard dated March 1st 1931 there's not much to say about it it's only about a page long um, and he mentions a little bit about San Antonio being a little too mixed for his taste and where he's kind of from western central Texas where you have a little bit more homogenous uh, uh, culture but San Antonio it kind of maybe San Antonio is kind of being presented as as maybe a New Yorkish and it's in its way um, but it's still a place he goes to and, and kind of seems to enjoy to a certain degree. Um, then we have a letter from, um, by Lovecraft that doesn't survive. And we don't know quite when it was written. Um, and this is followed by yet another Lovecraft note, uh, like a postcard thing, um, to, uh, at, to Robert E. Howard written when he was in St. Augustine. So this is during his southern trip, which we talked about when we looked at the the selected Letters of H.P. Lovecraft, and he really likes uh, this place as we know. Uh, no Indian influence. Augustine has lost much naive quaintness because of tourism, but nevertheless, it's he's kind of fascinated by um, as it, it is. It's kind of like White Lake's Quebec as as kind of an example of an of an antique survival in the modern world. A little corrupted by tourism, though. But when does that not happen? I suppose. Um, then we have a, another HPL, I guess a, a postcard maybe, that doesn't survive from another part of Florida. Um, and then but the next long letter we get here is um, from Howard to Lovecraft um, from June 31. So I guess it's a lot of the same stuff. He, he explains a little bit more about John A. Merle, um, who he describes as a hellbender. Um, and it actually connects him just to kind of race to, uh, to slave uprisings or things, which you know, I mean, he's worth maybe looking into a little bit more for some of that history. And how he kind of fits into the narrative, the, the, the genealogy, I guess, of Western bandits. Um, now, there's an important kind of heart here in the, in, in the letter going to the question of racial memory and cultural memory and things like that. And he does, and it, we know Lovecraft doesn't really buy racial memory in, in any real sense as like a genetic thing. But Howard here writes, fantastic, fantastic linkings with bygone ages are certainly curious. I must confess I lean towards the theory that racial memories are transmitted from ancestor to descendant, though I'm not prepared to offer any argument holding it. Um, so he says like, re- this is coming out of, I think, something maybe. Lovecraft's responds to what Howard says about the about him having these like uh, connections to the to these to these Babylonians and Howard's like well maybe my ancestors came from Babylon maybe I have that like oriental blood in a way um, he says uh, to me history seems mostly a chaotic jumble though which moves certain fairly well divine streams and currents but which is mainly too tangled for my own comprehension Uh, Now, that's kind of on a different topic, but it's really good and important to our understanding of these two men. In part because, like, history is something that's tangible and understandable for Lovecraft. Like, he can grasp it. But... and and periodize it and understand epochs. And Howard's like, it's just a bunch of facts and it's chaos, right? He's got a much more postmodern almost view of what history is. And of course, as historians, and I'm one of them, you wanna have periods, you wanna have cause and effect, and you wanna, you filter through facts, right? So when you write a history account, you put a bunch of facts on the table, right? And you're like, well, what picture do I get from here, right? So you put a bunch of pictures, you put a bunch of, like, say you empty out a puzzle, on that table and you got greens and blues and reds and yellows and all these different colors and you're like you know i think this is a puzzle of a tree right so you put together all the greens and you kind of said well and you set aside the other stuff right maybe you include some of that stuff but it becomes background and you're left with a puzzle like a picture of a tree and you're like ah i was right the puzzle was a tree right and howard's saying no it's all these it's chaos it's all these things right and you can't really narrow down a narrative um it's, it's kind of a barbaric view of history almost right if you want to put it that way um, now Lovecraft much now moving on for a second now Lovecraft must have said something like how dare you malign the Romans they didn't try to destroy folk culture is the way you suggest and Howard's like okay that's true Rome may more tend to destroy folk traditions of her subjects um and maybe living in rome was better than living in the feudal age i don't know but he kind of says i'm still at the end of the day i'm siding with the barbarians he says uh, my sense of placement as i mentioned is always on the barbar barbarians across the walls Indeed, when anyway, I look upon the picture or drawing of some old walled city and try to imagine myself in the setting, I always have a sensation of standing on some wooded hill or in a desert without gazing over the walls rather than being inside the city. Good stuff. Nice. Um, a nice summation of, I think, his point of view and where it's going to be, be different from uh, our, our our other man here. And he babbles on about some other stuff, but he comes back to it, and he, and he, the way he says it is like, he kind of says, you know what, those people outside the walls, like the barbarians, they were the Aryans. And, and when you go to like the American frontier, who are like in the countryside, who is dominating, it's like it's the Aryans, right? Who's in the cities? It's these immigrants. So I... I get the sense he's trying to say that, like the this Aryan culture that we both seem to be defending here, and 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 uplifting is a barbaric culture. It's a barbarian culture ultimately. Um, anyways, I think so. And then he gets back to some violence, Sh- the role of shotguns in winning the West, men from the mid- from the Middle West, ready to fight at any moment good stuff really some good stuff here Um, towards the end on violence and he sends him up home he sends him home called the grim lanes now this would eventually be published I guess but anyways I guess I cut that letter a little short but that said there's like two really important things there one is this idea of like racial memory and the other is kind of him firmly stating he's on the side of the barbarians, which I, which I kind of respect. I, I don't know why it has to be kind of, why it can't just be a cultural thing, why he, both of these people have to make everything about race at the end of the day, but that again is the, the, the water they've been swimming in. Um, so next we have a, a postcard by Lovecraft, which doesn't exist, uh, unfortunately. Um, and then we have a little short note to, uh, by Howard to Lovecraft, just talking about weird fiction, really things, um, whisper in darkness, the publication of it and some other things. Um, but we really want to get to the last two letters, um, by, by Howard here. I guess we, we are, we're only getting, oh no, we got one from Howard, one from Lovecraft to Howard and then one final letter and we'll be done, uh, with this section of the, of my read through. So first we have, uh, Howard to, um, or Lovecraft to Howard, I should say. And he spends much of this going on about his trips to, to Key West to Florida and how much he likes it. Um, he even seems to like some of the sea voyages he took on. I think he went to Key West. So he appreciated that. Um, and he kind of says, thanks for all the great stuff you gave me on the Southwest. It's really going to be useful. And then he jumps into some race stuff. Um, racial, like a really important racial commentary, I guess, shows up in this letter. That's what I'll call it. Um, so he talks about like, uh, right, even South Africa, right? Listen to this. About the cups of South Africa, I saw them re- reference to only the other day in connection with the possible ancestry of the Bushmen or... Boge of the Orange Free State, a small, intelligent, copper-colored race akin to the Houghton and sharply differentiated from the thick-skinned, thick lip gorilla-like West African blacks. Certain comparisons of cranial measurements suggest that at least a small strain of the Boschkop blood has survived in these superior natives whose qualities have hitherto been attributed to an Asiatic origin, quote. So this is going back to that question, like, did Semitic people, you know, move south and, and kind of intermix with blacks, and that accounts for some of their more successful civilizations. Um, Now, then he jumps and says, well, I don't really buy this racial memory thing. Um, He says, when we consider the vast number of our distant ancestors, the almost infinite extent to which our hereditary is divided and subdivided as it recedes in time, we can see how slight an effect on us is exerted by any one ancestor, which is a pretty logical and scientific way to look at it because he understands culture isn't something that's in the blood. It's something that's around us. It's in our architecture, it's in our cities. It's in the culture that actually exists. And that is something we inherit because of where we're born and where we're from, but it's not something we inherit through, uh, through the egg and the sperm, right? He says, instead what we have is hereditary emerging when we have a large people of a similar cultural background living together, right? Um, and that's what immigration threatens of course. So this is a pretty, I think, key statement on on how what race really means to him when he's talking about it and and, and, in association with certain cultural values or civilizational concepts. Now, mostly here, he's responding to things Howard said. Like Howard said at one point, like, I think more people are like, like Aryans are moving to the countryside. And Howard's like, that's interesting. I hope that's the case. It seems to be the opposite here. More people moving into cities. and That seems to be a bad thing. Um, But here's this wonderful little passage which I just have to read to you. he says by the way i don't think we have as many big foreigners up here as you do in texas southwestern soil and air must agree with them our providence latins tend to be very undersized so that the old nordic stock still towers physically over all comers however in western massachusetts the slavs are rather tallish as well as thick scent generally the peasant races of central and southern europe tend to be thicker chunkier than we although not so tall they have thick necks wrists and ankles where ours are thin though they do not exceed us in either height or breadth of shoulder that's a curious contrast when you Point out in connection with Latin and Nordic knife fighting. Doubtless, each of the two tendencies is deeply bound up in some tra- transmitted racial tradition. Our northern Italians used to be great stabbers, but under the Capone influence, they now turning to the use of machine guns from ambush. The progress of urban civilization. End quote. So that's pretty, pretty hilarious. So cultures just changing. It's, you know, knife fighting might be a cultural memory, but it can change it's not in it's not in our blood all right last letter I'm gonna talk about um, howard to lovecraft I'm just gonna the, the, i'm gonna be I'm gonna wrap up here pretty soon, but what's good here more on immigration in the west and more on frontier wars a whole lot of this stuff um, he does concede the point on racial memory um And he kind of says, well, maybe I'm really just talking about a shadowy ancestral shape that exists in modern form um, through maybe, you know, maybe it exists in some form, not exactly in a literal racial memory kind of way. Now, he sort of asked Lovecraft a question here, talking about the Sumerians, like, how do these cultures sort of do change over time? Right. You know. And maybe, is it, is it foreign influences that, that cause these changes? Um, so he says, like, uh, and since the tigris euphrates civilization is now believed to have preceded the Egyptian, is it now the theory that from the Sumerian culture the Egyptian grew, or that these civilizations evolved along different separate lines? It may be, as you say, that my preference for the Danes over the Saxons comes from reading Norse sagas. Um, anyways, then the Norse influence on him, but... You know, he's asking, I think, a really key question here is like, do these cultures influence themselves, influence each other and create something new or, or whatever? Uh, Then he kind of gets off on a slide about Norse, Norse mythology and all that. Now, of course, Lovecraft has just been spending time in the South, so. He kind of says, oh, the Gulf, I know about the Gulf. So let's talk about the Gulf and let's talk about, uh, and he, he talks about like the flooding of Galveston in 1900. Um, of course, Texas shares that long, uh, you know, Gulf of Mexico coast with with Florida and New Orleans, the places that Lovecraft had visited during that that trip. So he's like, ah, that that's, you know, You know maybe something's going on there and then they come. then they jumps back to the stuff about how tall people are it's kind of silly stuff uh and the knife fighting stuff he kind of responds to that too so i guess not too much new here more on crime immigrants he does get a little bit here on states rights and he thinks they're being decayed um but yeah i think that's it i i I do think this is a a nice letter, but a lot of it's just responding to things that Lovecraft said and just kind of carrying on the conversation. So I guess that's a good place to wrap up. I I don't want these. I could go into a little bit more detail on these, but it's going to end up being repetitive and I want to keep this as fresh as possible. But anyways, that I'll wrap it up now. Um, but in the next episode, I will look at basically the period from, um, August of 31 to, uh, june or june yeah june of 32 um it's almost a whole year of letters um but it's only about 100 pages worth so but we have 22 letters many of these are not extant though so we're not going to talk about 22 distinct letters um or some of them are quite short um but anyways that's what we're going to do it's pages 207 to page uh, 314 in a means for freedom if you have it so um Yeah, let's see where letters take us. So I'm going to have uh, lots of time in quarantine to read through these letters and and make my notes. And and hopefully I'll I'll be able to reveal some interesting aspects of these letters to you. So um, anyways, if you have any thoughts on any of these topics I've been talking about, let me know. Send me an email at at 100 pagescast at gmail.com. But otherwise, I'll be back shortly with the rest of my thoughts on... on, um, these, these Lovecraft Power Runs Letters. Thanks for listening. Saddle, I used to go gay First left to drinking And then to card playing I'm shot in the breast And I'm dying today Let's sit, jolly cowboys Come carry my coffin Let's sit, pretty